There's no one that's female. I mean, why in the hell would I think that I can be successful? Women are not making it to the top of any profession. So it's a very male-dominated environment. We do exist in this society where women in entertainment are discarded. There are women over 40 making pop music, but you won't hear them on commercial radio. And this is why conversation between women and music has never been more important. Hi, and welcome to Control, the podcast where we speak to incredibly inspiring women working in the music and creative industries. I'm Chelsea Wilson, your host, and in this episode, I'm speaking to musician, speaker, writer, and disability advocate, Eliza Hull. Eliza's music has been described as stirring, captivating and heartfelt and has been featured on Australian TV shows such as And Then Something Changed and The Heights and American TV programs such as Awkward, Teen Wolf and Saving Hope. She's currently working on her fifth studio record due for release in 2023. As a speaker and disability advocate, Eliza has presented panels on accessibility at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, and music conferences such as Changes. She performed at Ability Fest and also produced the ISOAID Accessible All Areas Festival, featuring disabled musicians from around the world. As an audio producer, Eliza developed the We've Got This series about parenting with disability for Radio National and ABC Live, which was developed into a book, We've Got This, Stories by Disabled Parents. She recently released her first children's book, Come Over to My House, co-written by best-selling author Sally Rippon. Eliza was awarded the Music Victoria Amplify Award, the National Leadership Award from the Australia Council and Arts Access Australia, and the Diversity in Music Award from the Women in Music Awards. In this conversation, I ask Eliza about representation and her advocacy work, her new album project, showcasing at South by Southwest, moving into the literature space, and much, much more. This is Eliza Hull in Control. Eliza Hull, thank you so much for joining me on the Control Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to see you. Uh, Firstly, I wanted to say congratulations on your Amplify Award win at the Music Victoria Awards and also the Women in Music Diversity Award. It was so great to see you acknowledged and receive those awards. How do you feel about those award categories and receiving that acknowledgement? Such a great question. Well, firstly... I feel really honoured and uh, excited by it. I, you know, I was really, really shocked, especially with the Music Victoria Award. I think, you know, being alongside so many incredible artists and advocates. Yeah, what a list. Yeah, it was like, wow, I cannot believe this. So I was shocked. Uh, but when I was on stage, I felt like a wave of emotion because I think for a long time disability was not something that I was willing to talk about because of the internalized ableism that I faced Um, and that was just because Mm -hmm. of lack of representation really of people with disability in the music industry and so to be up on that stage and to be recognized for my music but also for my advocacy work was yeah truly an honor I mean at times it's you know it's a really tricky 
space to be in, I have to admit, because for so long disability was something that I, again, you know, didn't talk about and hid. And yet now that's really, funnily enough, the moment that I kind of stepped inside the space of disability advocacy, it sometimes it's now hard to get my music out there because disability is, I guess, the advocacy and the consultancy is, is really taking up a lot of my time and space, which, yeah, it's, it's a hard thing to now navigate that kind of those different roles. But, um, you know, that all takes time. Speaking of your music, I'm really excited to chat to you about your upcoming record, your fifth studio record, Hopefully coming out early next year, produced by Georgia Sally Banks, who's also known as Odette and Pip Norman. Can you talk us through this recording? What's it been like? What's the process? What's it about? What's the new record about? Yeah, I'm calling this a record reunion. And the reason I'm calling it that is because it feels like a bit of a reunion with my, with oneself. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, as I just spoke briefly then about is, is that kind of, you know, for a long time, I really uh, hid a lot about myself and that was really a heavy space to live in and so now that I'm speaking more openly and being more authentic and speaking my truth it has felt like almost like a you know a reunion with oneself with with the older version with myself almost the, the child version of myself when I truly accepted myself and didn't fear difference and didn't fear being being different and feeling really different the process has been really fun I have to say like just great yeah sometimes it isn't recording can be really (laughs) hard work exactly every time I've gone into the studio with Pip and also with Georgia um I felt really listened to I felt like we're all on even ground I felt like it's been just a great collaboration fun enjoyable there's been a lot of joy and the songs feel yeah just really exciting and I feel like I'm really speaking about things that I haven't spoken about before and the music really also has kind of gone up that notch I guess it does feel very different and goes in and you know ebbs and flows between um you know more of that kind of melancholy uh sound but also a lot there's a lot of joy in in the songs and power as well which is is really exciting and what about the instrumentation because some of your work has this really lush ethereal kind of sound but then you know when you performed on q a for abc tv it was you know just you and piano so you can kind of do both of those sort of sounds what's the kind of audio sonic flavor of this work uh yeah, I feel like it is similar to the older stuff in that it, it is, um, you know, kind of that dreamy, soundscapey sounds. Um, but piano is definitely the thing that, you know, brings it all together. So I play piano on every track, actually. Wow, that's uh, great. Yeah. And probably the, the thing that I would say is the most different about this record is the... The production is slightly more pop and because of that there are more harmonies, there's more vocal layers. But I was I was wanting to push it into that space a little bit more, so I'm excited about that. And is some of that George's influence? What's it been like working with her? Yeah, like she has such an incredible musical mind and she's yeah she's brought things to the table that you you know suddenly she's playing the strings on the piano in the the top of the piano and um using that as like a almost like a a string instrument uh 
summer and you know she's really enabled me to really push me as well lyrically but also vocally as well just saying you know maybe pull back a little bit here those kind of moments where I might might have just kind of pushed pushed vocally she's actually said the opposite like maybe it's you know maybe pull back and see what it feels like to do that and really speak to the audience this way and uh so I've really valued her just her her mind and her musical brain because it's it's just been really incredible to hear what she she feels from the music and where she thinks it should go it's great to hear you say that you feel really listened to in the studio by your production team because that's not always the case when we're in those environments as artists and that artist and producer relationship can be you know quite challenging to navigate it's such an intimate process to make an album and you're in the studio with very vulnerable stories and things to share and you've got a producer who's also kind of you know wanting wanting to shape it in a particular way do you feel like it's been different working with a female production team uh, yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, but I, I do also think that Pip Norman, I think because of his experience working with so many artists and working with lots of female artists, I think that he just is a great listener and he doesn't, um, you know, sometimes I've just felt like in the, in the studio when I've brought an idea like just that imposter feeling that you have and, and that feeling of like, <laughs> that you a you're not listened to and b that your thoughts uh are not relevant and actually uh, you know i i know i know more than you because i've been doing it for this long and whereas mm. I, I don't get that from from pip norman or um georgia at all and, and yeah it just felt very like we're just here together and what do you think and it was constantly what do you think uh instead of just them taking over how do you feel about your musical output, how it's evolved or developed over five records, almost five records? Yeah, I mean, I never listen back to my old music, <laughs> uh, but uh, <laughs> I did the other day, actually. I was, I had a long drive and I, you know, dived into lots of new records that I wanted to listen to. I went back to some old stuff and then I don't know whether it was just I was in this reflective mindset and I just, yeah, I started, I looked back and, you know, like... It actually made me feel proud, to be honest. Like, you know, normally sometimes you can really cringe with, with what you're listening to. Yeah. <laughs> and look, I, I, I heard what could have been different and I hear what, you know, isn't, you know, perfect. But I also hear something that I actually wish I could come back to. And that is the, I don't know how to describe it, but like through the the kind of innocence of when you first start writing music and you just don't have that kind of outside knowledge of the music industry and so you just like literally just you know your heart just pours out and I think sometimes I I worry that I'm too I have been in the past too affected by the audience or the listener instead of what I really want to say and how I really want to say it and I think that the first record I, I wasn't in that space at all it just sounded really honest um and yeah, look, there's some songs I don't particularly love as, as, as much, but there are some songs that have really stood, you know, I guess their ground for, for a long time and I still really appreciate. The last couple of years have been incredibly difficult for artists, especially 
in terms of live performance with shows being cancelled and the uncertainty. How did you navigate through this time and did you have moments where you questioned if you still wanted to work in music? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It was hard and there was a lot of gigs that got cancelled for me. I was... um, you know, almost at that time was about to play at the Sydney Opera House and I was so excited for that. That got cancelled and there were a lot of gigs that got cancelled. Has it been yes, rescheduled? I ended up playing that one. So that was, yeah, it was very, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Um, and like, there was a couple <laughs> of shows that I postponed. I think one in particular got postponed five times. And even when we did start opening up, there was this kind of belief that everything's back to normal. Well, it's still not because if a musician gets COVID, you have to cancel the gig. Or even if your guitarist who you've rehearsed with lots gets COVID, you still have to cancel because it's too expensive to suddenly in a day rehearse the whole show with another guitarist. So, yeah, there was definite times that I felt like that the music industry is just, it's just too hard. But I, I, I just don't think I could ever let music go, to be honest. Like, I think the music industry is hard. <laughs> but for me, the actual music and the actual creation of music and getting into the studio and performing to an audience, that'll never feel hard because it just has to happen. It's like, it's in me and it will never go away. But yeah, I felt like there was times, I mean, I think the especially in the Victorian sector, there were times where I, I just felt like the government weren't, listening and weren't doing enough and giving so much money to other areas even the film industry anyone else really yeah exactly I guess that really comes down to that real lack of belief in what the music industry actually does every single day for people and uh, without it it's such a massive hole in in the art sector but also just in society in general like the music industry is what makes Melbourne and regional areas feel alive so I I hope in a way we can actually use it as a tool to realize when something's taken from you what it actually what it actually means do you think that's happened though do you think the general public now are valuing music more than before I mean I'm a little bit skeptical on it (laughs) I am too um but I do I actually do think that there's a greater appreciation for music but maybe that's just the circles I'm in I don't know I just feel like the audiences are what I'm hearing is I really miss this I really want to support artists more this feels so good to be listening to music Mm. with friends and yeah this is what community is and whether that really translates into people buying merch and people buying tickets and I'm not sure. But it does feel like there has been, I guess, what has what taken from people. It's kind of reiterated the importance of what it does. Yeah, I think you're right. But it definitely was an interesting time and I don't think as artists we'd really thought before the pandemic about how we were viewed by government more broadly but then all of a sudden seeing support go to other industries and not music specifically it was like oh hang on we're kind of invisible actually (laughs) it's such a shame to really lose all the people we lost and a lot of people haven't come back actually especially within you know certain areas like sound engineers Mm -hmm. production yeah it's 
it was too hard to hold on at that time and so and we've we have lost some artists as well to other careers which, which again is a real shame yeah and venues as well you know it's just kind of across the whole board really but I love what you said before about even though the industry side of things can be really difficult to navigate and I think quite exhausting also from an artist point of view because it just seems so so huge and so big and so bleak at times but I love that you still have the joy for music and the thing that propelled you to want to be a creator in the first place that that energy is still very much with you I've heard you talk about music before being an escapism when you were younger and coming to terms with living with a disability. Can you talk to us about what music means to you, especially around that time and how it became an essential part of your life? Yeah, it was kind of by chance that when I was five years old, I started falling over at school and that's when I started to develop my disability. And that was the time that I learned that I could sing. And uh, it was by chance that my music teacher invited me to perform in the local of Steadford. And wow. yeah, it was that. I think when you are feeling really confused as a child and not knowing why everybody's talking about you and why you have to go to so many hospital visits, why you're constantly falling over at school, um, why you're suddenly in pain. I think that that is a really confusing thing to happen to a child. So to then have the juxtaposition of being told you're really good at something and, you know, the applause, I guess, like having people say, you know, well done. And I think that that just really was such a great thing for my confidence at that time. And then throughout primary school and high school, when things did get hard, when I was having lots of surgery operations, when I was being, you know, teased at school and some people would make fun of me and and walk behind me and make noises. And I felt, you know, I guess when you're a teenager, you desperately just want to fit in and you, you want to not be different. And... So I would just go into the music room and get on the piano and just play and and write songs and uh, I guess express myself and use it as a tool to kind of figure out what's going on and, and figure out all the big feelings that I was feeling. Yeah, I think it's just such been such a good thing for my life. And then I guess going forward when I moved to Melbourne after year 12, I think I've realised like when I look back on all the memories of my life, like it's just such a great way to create community, like with other bands, with your own band and then your audience as well, just having that connection and then being able to invite your friends to the show and it being a thing to do, an outing. And it's, yeah, it's truly been like the best for my life in terms of it just, you know, each gig being a time to feel connected and to feel less alone. What was the song you sang as a five-year-old at the East Stedford? Do you remember? <laughs> I do, but, yeah, it's not one to be proud of. It's um, Timey Kangaroo Down Sport. I'd love to chat to you about your work advocating for a more inclusive industry. It's really important work that you're doing and your role as an access consultant you're currently advising for organisations such as the Arias, Music Victoria, APRA, the Arena Theatre Company, Bakehouse Studios, and live music venues such as Theatre Royale, K 
Castlemaine. I mean, it's fantastic that finally there is conversation happening around this and a willingness to, you know, start that process. But what is that process like for you? How do you approach creating strategies for these clients? Uh, First of all, I, I, you know, see what they're doing at the moment. So it's more like having a look at what they're already doing really well and speak to them about that. For venues, I go into the venue and do kind of like a walk through it and then consult on what needs to be changed in terms of physical environment for audience but also for artists and then yeah look at more kind of website Mm. and social media and how they publicize their shows and and also you know talking about simple quick wins really like for a venue a lot of um, venue operators don't know how to ask someone you know whether they have any access requirements and don't know whether they should and I'm absolutely all for asking that question so Mm. that it's not up to the person with disability having to constantly say you know is your venue accessible so I think it's about being transparent with your artists and your audience and even if your access isn't you know, perfect in inverted commas, then still listing that, for instance, stating that if you have a step up into your venues, just stating that so that a person with disability knows what to expect and potentially can make adjustments to be able to still access your venue. We do a, a lot of work, not only in the physical space, but also in, in terms of attitudes, because it's all well and good to physically access a venue, but if you're not treated right when you go inside that venue, that's you know in my mm. opinion just the same or if not worse uh, an example I have is often I won't be let into a venue because security guard will think I'm drunk so educating even security guards of, of how to treat people with disability or sometimes I'll go inside a venue and venue staff will talk to my partner instead of to me by saying you know does she need a chair and uh, you know what does she need instead of talking to me and yeah so it's just kind of reiterating that that those attitudes and how we can change the language we use and how we treat others also looking at ways that we can be more accessible for not only physically but also for people that are blind or have low vision in terms of you know image descriptions on social media alt text on websites and captioning videos and and social media posts for people that are deaf or hard of hearing having an Auslan interpreter on stage Mm. and then also making more relaxed shows for uh, people that are autistic or have sensory sensitivities and I'm seeing more of this happening um, relaxed shows which are so great for a lot of people even people that have families or young children that want to go to more of a relaxed environment it's um, it opens up to to various audience and I think the other thing that I feel the music industry really learnt from COVID is the ability to live stream. And mm. I have noticed that that is dropping off now. Which oh, I absolutely. T- I just think it's such a shame. Because, I know, isn't it? Yeah. It's so I disappointing. That, yeah, there's so much that could be done in that space. Like you could, you could sell a live stream ticket and um, reach a whole other demographic, um, whether that be, you know, people with disability that 
it, you know, it is too hard to, to get out and see live music, but also for people that are pregnant or people that have families or people that have chronic illness, I think there's such a, a way to bring music into people's homes and spaces in ways that we were doing during COVID, but have really kind of forgotten for some reason. Yeah, I think, you know, there's a commercial side of that where, you know, it does cost money to have camera operators and set up that infrastructure and, you know, a lot of the things that were missed over the COVID kind of lockdown period was the inability to monetize things very easily and a fear that maybe if things are streamed, people won't come physically and our priority is to get people in the venue so they buy drinks Um, But it's just such a missed opportunity. And you also wonder, you know, so many venues received funding to purchase this capital infrastructure to roll out streaming. So what is there? Just all of this camera equipment sitting, gathering dust in cupboards now in venues all across the world. It's not just here. It's everywhere. Um, So, yeah, I'm, I'm completely with you. I think the streaming is just an incredible opportunity for everyone in terms of inclusivity for shows. Uh, I know you've spoken about accessibility at a bunch of different conferences and it's great that these conversations are happening in these contexts. You've spoken at the Human Rights Convention Free and Equal for the NDIS. You've spoken at South by Southwest, Brunswick Music Festival, the Wheeler Centre, Changes. You were on Q&A for ABC TV. What do you feel like the response has been? And do you think we're gaining some traction in this area? We still have a really long way to go. Yeah, look, I think that it's really clear that things are shifting. I think that people are really willing to step in. People are willing to be educated. And like there's some definite shifts and changes happening. Like that's for sure. <laughs> and I, I like saying that because I think... Sometimes when people just always talk about the things that need to change and the barriers that we're not giving enough space for the fact that we are moving into a more inclusive world and that these conversations didn't Mm. even exist in the past. And that is why for so long I was so deeply afraid of using the word disability but also just afraid to be me, not wanting to walk and not wanting to be lifted you know, carried up onto the stage because of that um, lack of conversation around disability. So I think, yes, we are moving into a far more inclusive music industry where disability is not only being celebrated, but at times being prioritised. But I also think that we still have such a long way to go. And I think the spaces that I'm seeing at the most is... um, in terms of representation still and in terms of attitudes as well. So like I think people are making some real changes in the way that they are, they make live music more accessible physically but also in terms of social mm. media, marketing, people are thinking about it, getting an Auslan interpreter. It's all really, really great. But like I still think that we don't have enough people with disability in leadership positions. Board representation. Yeah, board representation. Mm-hmm festivals um just live music in general and radio tv i just again it's record labels i still think that there is an attitude an ableist attitude that disability is not 
something that, you know, I think there's still like attitudes even that people with disability make great artists. I still think that there's some attitudes there around what people stereotypically think about people with disability and what they can and can't do and the music that they create. And I think disability's often been portrayed as either something really tragic or something that's really inspiring. Bit of a binary, isn't it? And I think that often we do still fall into those spaces. And I was recently at Big Sound and, you know, without speaking about who or what, I had a meeting with a label and we were talking about my music and it was going really well. And the moment that I said, I have a disability, it was like, oh 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 I'm so sorry like really apologetic and um very like it felt very much like that was such a a tragic circumstance and then the the meeting was really kind of shut off straight away it just felt like it that was it that kind of closed the meeting It, it it's so tricky because I don't ever blame that person because that's what we've been like that's like what we've seen time and time again yeah, like I think when we think about yeah like when we think about even ads like where someone's been in a car accident now they're a wheelchair user mm. and it was oft, often portrayed as like that's the end of their life that's over now like so I think it's just either lack of representation but also that the representation has been skewed in that way of like that it is really a negative to have a disability you know or to be feared you know a group that we don't want to join whereas I think that you'll actually be lucky if you join this group because it means that you'll be old and you would have grown to be an elderly person because often that's when we do become disabled later in life and it's also the one community group that anyone can join at any time as well and I don't think people often don't think about that but I I think that again it just it just comes from lack of representation and I think we are seeing those shifts and changes like even as a child I don't remember any picture books or representation of disability so Mm. especially in a way that was authentic and positive so but we are seeing those shifts and I think you know I had an opposite meeting at Big Sound where a record label was saying that they had a a disability equity action plan and that they were planning to make sure that they had a, a representation of artists with disability so again yeah we are moving into that space. For people listening who might not have thought about this before or you know would want to make some changes what what are some things that you think everyone can do you know from an artist to a venue yeah like I love talking about quick wins so if you you know if you're a venue quick win is asking your artist what their access needs are when you ask them what their writer requests are other quick wins would be to you know on your social media to start doing image descriptions. So that's describing uh, what's in the image. And you just do that in your caption. When you're doing an Instagram post or Facebook post, you just state what uh, is in the image. And then especially great if you're putting like text or a poster up, if you don't put what that text is, is saying, then you're actually missing out on people that are blind or have low vision being able to 
screen read that information because they can't when an image is embedded, but they can screen read text when it's in a caption. Uh, also, just captioning your Instagram stories, your reels on, on socials, captioning your, your videos on YouTube. Um, a lot of them, you know, a lot of these channels are now doing it for you. So all you have to do is click the button and it will happen. So very easy, quick win. And I think, again, another thing would be just around the attitudes and language. Uh, so there's some great access consultants out there. Um, you know, one that I really champion is Dina from Tibby Access. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dina's yeah. great. And Dina's really great in, um, you know, I guess, you know, educating venues or anyone in the music industry really uh, about ways that we can shift our attitudes and, and it's really on, on ableism and uh, ways that we can treat everyone with respect and in an inclusive mm. way. It's a lot of work for you, Eliza, looking after a family, developing your music career, looking after clients, writing and speaking out about access I mean, do you feel a sense of duty and responsibility to advocate and speak out, but how do you ensure that you don't burn out? Oh, goodness. So, yeah, I, do. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, often I feel like I am burning out and <sighs> it's tricky. I, I think that often when I'm there, I've just traveled to, to speak at an event. I often think, well, if I'm not here, um, would, would this organization just given up and not got another artist with disability to speak and if I'm not here and no one is then that means that nothing's moving forward so I guess yeah so I better be there <laughs> yeah I do, I do feel that it's it's, it's tricky and it is a lot at times and Sometimes, if I'm completely honest, it really has affected my mental health, especially when I'm talking about things that have been really, really hard for me. And Yeah, it's just a lot of emotional labour on you to be continually opening up about, you know, it's when you just want to get on with your life and your music. Yeah, very, very tricky. It's amazing that you do this. It's very appreciated. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, I, I guess I just am really passionate about what can change and I, I think that I am mm. seeing the change and that's really exciting it'd be I think it'd be far harder if I was not seeing the change happen and I was just like pushing and pushing and pushing but I am seeing the change happen I'm seeing what can continue to change and I think that just fires me up more to keep going but I am definitely seeing the ways that the, the world and the music industry is is shifting and, and that is really really great really exciting it can be really scary to speak out about you know things that you're passionate about I mean do you have any advice for people who are thinking wow Eliza's so amazing I wish I had that confidence to speak out I guess I don't feel sometimes it can feel really hard and sometimes I don't feel confident at all so I think just realizing we're all human and that it goes in ebbs and flows, doesn't it? In our ability to love ourselves and accept ourselves. And uh, mm-hmm. that's just, you know, I guess what makes us human, isn't it? Uh, but for me, I think I would just say, you know, if anyone's feeling like they have a story to share, because we all have a story to share. And if anyone feels like they want to be more authentic and they want to speak about their lived experience, 
I think whilst it's been heavy at times and I am really tired, I am so grateful that I have been able to share my experiences and my story. It's given my life a lot of purpose. And not only that, it's just taken off this huge weight of the hiding, the hiding and the fear that I had of constantly having to mask and, and conceal who I was. And I am really... yeah feeling just really great about the fact that now I don't have to hide and now I can just be myself and it's been like a huge weight just off my shoulders. You mentioned you went to Big Sound earlier this year you traveled to South by Southwest. We recently spoke to Millie Milgate from Sounds Australia about export on the Control podcast so I really wanted to chat to you about showcasing an export. What was South by Southwest like for you? I think that because we had been in so many COVID lockdowns it felt like even just mentally bigger than I had realized it would feel like being on a plane traveling away from my family Mm. um doing shows for the first time really um it felt really strange also very exciting it's so awesome that you got a slot there yeah absolutely it was a dream come true and I I had really dreamt of it for a long time. I'd applied maybe seven times, six or seven times I've applied for South By and, and, and this time was the one time I got in and really excited to not only go and and sing but also to then be given the chance to be on the panel and and I got to interview artists that I'd really been influenced by one is her name's Lauchi and she's a a person of color lives in America blind and is an incredible advocate so so fiery and passionate and making huge shifts in the music industry like thinking things that I just will I'm like oh wow I hadn't even thought about that and um she started a coalition called Ramped, which is spelt R-A-M-P-D. And they're doing a lot of work with the Grammys and a lot of organisations. And it's a worldwide coalition that I'm now part of with her. And we meet often and to speak about our experiences all around the world. And it's really great to see the common uh, experiences, but also things that are different and things that are changing, you know, potentially quicker as well and and trying to then bring that within the Australian music sector Uh, and also interviewed another artist called Ruth Lyon who is a wheelchair user an incredible singer-songwriter and her and I felt like this real attached feeling I can't describe it but like everything she was experiencing I was experiencing and we didn't know about each other and so I just wish we had known each other about each other a long time ago so it's felt like almost like my sister feeling that kind of really kindred spirits uh, so it was so great to meet her um, and South by Southwest took on my thoughts after the festival about what could potentially change as well like they did a lot of things that were really great. They had an interpreter on stage for people that were deaf or hard of hearing. They didn't, you know, there were a couple of things that just weren't, you know, 
a lot of the time what happens is you might book a, a, an artist with disability but then you might put them on a, a stage on the last day or have them in an area that's not where the main festival's happening or not promote the show. So those kind of things are things that I really want to change and I think that that does feed into that attitudes around disability. Also, yeah, just around the physical access of a festival. It's quite hard to navigate such a huge festival like South by Southwest. Uh, so, and the thing is they actually had done some really great things like they had a bus um, for people with disability, but it wasn't communicated with all the of the artists with disability. <laughs> so it's just those kind of things. But they were really great on taking on the feedback and are going to make sure those things are, are changed for next year and... I really hope that festivals and venues and artists don't feel like they have to get everything right the first time because we're all learning. Mm. Like everything's constantly evolving and changing so quickly and I would rather us give it a go or do what, you know, even if we just take the steps to get there, I think that's still the way to go instead of holding off altogether. Do you have any advice for artists who have also had a similar goal and dream to showcase at South by Southwest? Do you think it's worth doing? Yeah, I think it's worth doing, but I think that you need to be really, really organised. And I think because I was in a whirlwind of COVID pandemic and having a young family, I didn't realise the organisation that had to go into it to set up the meetings and set up the mentoring sessions that are are provided Mm. and that was a bit of a, sh- a missed opportunity in, in that I didn't set up who I wanted to meet with, which I learnt and really changed when I went to Big Sound. Um, but, you know, in saying that, I still had some great meetings and people reached out to me and a lot of those connections mm. are still going. Great. And, yeah, so it definitely... I think that's life, though, isn't it? You, you, you almost don't know whether it was worth it maybe I won't for a little while but maybe it'll come back in a, in a year or two and they'll go actually that was you know that led to that and that led exactly. to that and that's how life works yeah exactly I just did a performance at Apex the performing arts exchange conference in Sydney a couple of weeks ago and I have no idea <laughs> you know is anything gonna come from this or not but you know it's um it's part of the experience you know of being an artist and you know, putting yourself out there and going along to these things. I know Millie Milgate and the team at Sounds Australia always say, I'll go before you show, but that's so expensive. We can't all just afford to go to South by just to have a look, (laughs) you know, it's just economically, you know, out of reach for most of us. So I think that's great advice is try and line up any meetings you can in advance. I found that with you know, I went to Jazz Ahead in Germany a few years ago and I didn't do that really. So you're just sort of in this massive space with thousands of people who all seem to know each other. Um, I'm sure they don't, but at the time I felt like everybody knows each other here and I don't know anyone. And it's really, you. it's like cold calling. You're just kind of randomly going up and chatting to people. And that's really intimidating for a lot of artists that don't feel very good about the hustle side of the industry yeah and I think it can be so overwhelming that you're going anyhow you know you're yeah. rehearsing they're getting the visas getting the travel organized I mean, there's so much logistics that go into doing anything like that and then the financial logistics as well so then mm-hmm. to, to be that person that then has to try and figure out who to contact and how to contact them is like 
it was just too overwhelming for me at that that time. It is a lot of planning, you know, really. You want a team, you want to spend a lot of time in advance before you get there to kind of make some plans. But, you know, when you're working and trying to make ends meet and have a family and all these other things you kind of don't have time to even think about it until you're on the plane on the way there and it's and then you're just like so exhausted from even just packing the suitcase it's like i'm just gonna watch a movie (laughs) that's how i am i'm just gonna like have a wine and watch a movie changing track a little bit i wanted to chat to you about your writing you've written for publications such as mamma mia and abc every day and double j and you've now released two books I'd love to talk about your book, We've Got This, which features stories from disabled parents across Australia. What was the process like for you putting the book together and what were some of your key learnings from this experience? I mean, what an incredible project. It came about because it was actually an ABC scholarship um, for a regional person with disability and I applied for that with the idea of we've got this Uh, and so it became a podcast series to begin with but in the back of my mind I always really felt like it would be a great book and the reason being is because when I was uh, thinking about having a child and pregnant I tried to find a book like this and there was absolutely nothing out there you know you get given so many books on parenting and I couldn't find anything about disability and parenting and I really wanted to know even just like the yeah just even those little things of like how do you do this and you know how do you you know for instance I've got low muscle tone in my hands and so I didn't feel like I could give my baby a a bath is there any um, equipment that I could use to do that and just those kind of little um, hacks on ways that we can parent um, as disabled people Uh, but yeah there wasn't anything out there and that's really what I set out to change and I had put a chapter in Growing Up Disabled in Australia that was edited by Carly Finlay and uh, it was published by Black Ink and so I went after that coming out I went back to them and said I've got this book idea what do you think and they were really on board straight away which was very it was just such so great that they supported the project and then it's became a a book that that came out in March this year and that features uh you know my experiences and also the experiences of 25 uh parents with disability that identify as disabled deaf or Mm -hmm. chronically ill and they wrote some of them wrote their own pieces and some of them I interviewed and wrote with them as an accessible way to be part of the book and it's now becoming an international version so I've now done it all over again with uh, Canadian parents uh, American parents and British parents and so it'll come out next year in February same title but completely different book and I also have a, a children's book that's yes. just come out. Come over to my house, which you've co-written with Sally Rippon. Tell us about that. Yeah, I had the idea, I guess, because of we've got this that I wanted to kind of to make like the sister book for children. And so mm. it is. It's like we've got this because it actually goes inside all the homes of these families that I got to know really well to authentically portray parents and children with disability. So inside, you know, it's come over to my house, come over and play, and it comes from a child's perspective, inviting another child into their home. And inside the home, it's, you know, shows, I guess, the similarities between um, 
us as people, but also shows the ways that these parents and children are really creative and adaptable and that the, 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 the I guess, really fun as well. Like it, it shows ways that having a disability can be something that's really not to, to be feared, but, but also something that can be to be celebrated really ultimately and it also has conversation starter at the end of the book for parents so ways that we can talk about disability Mm, so whilst it will be that representation it will also be a great conversation starter that sounds incredible how did you know you were a writer how did you get the confidence to step into a literature space it's so different from music uh I guess I, because I love writing lyrics as well. Like I knew that I loved to write and I had, have always written. So even as a teenager, I'd write like elaborate stories and it just always felt like that was something I really liked to do. Kept journals all my life. And even as a child, I, I wrote in one of those journals that one day I wanted to be a journalist and a singer and I ended up doing it with the ABC. I've done a lot of um, journalism, a lot in audio, but a lot also in writing. So, yeah, I guess just, you know, practising and doing small articles and then wanting to, to share a, my story in that, in that space felt like the next step. You've achieved so much already. Do you feel successful? Do you celebrate the wins or is it just one thing to the next, to the next, to the next? I think that's a really great question. I think you can just feel like you're just constantly going and going and it has felt like that. Like I haven't really had much time to reflect. Recently, I've been really trying to stop and and go, actually, this is, yeah, like enjoy the success and enjoy all the work that I've put into you know, trying to advocate and and sharing my story and realising that it is a really positive thing. So I think I've been trying to do that a bit more, reflect and and realise that it is to be celebrated. What do you still want to achieve? I guess I'd really like to make a full-length album that I'm really proud of that I can just put on my record player as a vinyl and feel really really proud of it and like I've really made something that that's yeah like just that I've said what I really want to say and I think that that you know is something that might take a little time to get to that space but that that's definitely something I'd really like to do and yeah just continue doing what I'm doing and make more books make another children's book which I'm working on at the moment and just yeah continue creating and and advocating for change eliza hull you are amazing Uh, (laughs) thank you thank you so much for all the work that you do and for sharing your music and stories with the world and thank you for joining us on the control podcast thank you so much for having me you've been listening to eliza hull in control 
For more information and links to Eliza's music and books, please check the show notes. A full transcript of this episode is available at controlpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode of Control, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. It helps others to find the podcast. And please keep in touch. I'd love to hear from you. You can follow Control on Instagram and Facebook and let us know what you think of the conversations. This episode was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people, and I'd like to pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Until next time, stay safe and be kind. This is Chelsea Wilson signing off.